this is Pastor Nate Ward with Open Door Church, and I wanted to take a moment to welcome you to our podcast. It's my personal prayer that you would be encouraged and encountered by the Holy Spirit and challenged by His Word. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. felt the Holy Spirit highlight one thing as kind of a prerequisite before we talk about what I have written down here today. And in pre-service prayer and during worship, um, I felt like him just kind of continually striking this note with me. And and, uh, I want to share it. And I believe that one of the biggest inhibitors to us as God's people fulfilling the Great Commission is the fact that we do not believe he's good. One of the biggest things that serves as a stumbling block for you and I to share our faith and reach a lost world with the gospel of Jesus is that we, at a a fundamental level, struggle with this knowledge of the fact that God is actually good. I think if we had to check a box, if we were taking a multiple point, like a multiple uh, choice test, we would definitely say that God is good. We know that that's like the, the textbook answer. But the way that we live our lives and the evidence of the fruit in our lives says something completely contrary to actually what we believe about God. And I, I say this because I, I think it's, it's a simple fundamental concept. If you believe something's good, you naturally want to share that with other people. You may not know this about me, but I'm what you would call a donut connoisseur. I love a good donut. You can tell by my physique. I didn't get here eating celery and doing CrossFit. This is two crispy creams going down at the same time. You know, like, <laughs> and I play Ultimate once a week so I can balance out my Krispy Kreme addiction. But I like donuts. I like good donuts. In fact, uh, um, I, I've had my fair share of really good donuts, and I've had my fair share of bad donuts. I had a really bad donut this morning, guys. If you guys are curious about the donuts at Starbucks that are like apple cider or something old-fashioned they're not that good. I tried to pawn it off on Adam this morning. So this may not be a perfect example because I did tell Adam about the donut and tried to convince him that it was good, but he didn't want anything to do with it. But I do have a friend, and his name's Carl. We play Frisbee together sometimes, and he's in Portland, Oregon right now. And I went out of my way to uh, ensure the fact that he would stop at a place called Blue Star Donuts. I don't know if anybody here has ever been to Portland um, and if you have, if you haven't eaten a Blue Star Donut, you've really missed out. Adam can attest to this truth that if there was such a thing as, as the perfect donut, I believe Blue Star is as close as you can get. Um, <laughs> it's truth. You can, get a, you can get fried chicken on a donut there. I've never had that, but it, I'm sure it's pretty good. Uh, I mean, their donuts are amazing. it's a spiritual experience eating one of these donuts. I feel like I came closer to Jesus eating one of these donuts. Check mark, if you're making a list of heretical comments that I make during my sermon, you could probably put that down on one. But what I'm trying to get at the fact, these donuts are really good. And so I went out of my way to my friend Carl, who's making a trip up through the Northwest, told him, I don't care what you do, where else you eat, what else you see, there's all kinds of stuff to see up there, do you have to go to Blue Star Donuts because they're that good. It will change your life. 
I, I spent probably about 30 minutes convincing this friend of mine that you need to eat a Blue Star Donut. These guys can attest to that fact. They're good, right? I went to Tokyo where they had a Blue Star Donut, but they got bought out and they changed it all and it's not any good anymore. And I spent probably two hours trying to learn Japanese to figure out where the heck these Blue Star Donuts were in Tokyo. And I couldn't find them because they weren't there anymore. And uh, they're good. And the whole point of this silly anecdote here is to tell you that if you believe something's good and it's worth your time, the natural response is that it, over, it overflows throughout your life and you tell other people about it. Right? That's what we do with movies or music that we like, right? When was the last time you told somebody, man, I saw this really good movie, you have to watch it. That's Daniel's thing. He's always like, man, I saw this really good movie, you have to watch it. And most of the time I don't think it's that good, but he's got his own taste in movies and it's great. But how much more should the gospel, the good news of the fact that Jesus has saved us, that we have relationship with him, motivate us to share with others? And if that's not prevalent in our life, if we look back, uh, I have a friend that just preached on this um, a few weeks ago, and, and in, in the service, he had everybody write down uh, the name of the last person they told about Jesus, and then the last person they, they had, uh, had brought to church in their journal, thinking that, oh, this is just going to be something that's between me and God, and then he asked, now show it to your neighbor. I'm not going to do that to us this morning, but I do believe that there is a fundamental issue um, with us not understanding the goodness of God that inhibits us from sharing the gospel message with others. And I want to tell you this morning as a, as a foundational piece of the Christian faith, as something that is pivotal to us walking this thing of Christianity out, has to be the experiential knowledge that God is good and that he loves us. That, that has to be foundational. This isn't my message this morning, but I, I want you to know if that's something that you, you, you can't honestly say is prevalent in your life, that you, you can't honestly say that the goodness of God, the love of Jesus that you've experienced has motivated you to share your faith with somebody else or with those around you. I want to tell you that we can have that kind of encounter with the Lord, and he wants to demonstrate his love for you in such a measure that it will motivate us to do that. And so I want us to have that kind of as the lens we look through what I'm about to share with us today. Because how many of you guys know we can't just white-knuckle uh, our way through this thing of faith? How many of you guys have heard somebody or maybe a preacher say that you have to do this or somebody has told you you have to do this and understanding that you have to do something and actually doing it, there's oftentimes a disconnect in between the two, right? If I were to tell you, guys, you need to tell other people about Jesus, most of us would say, yes, we, I know that. We have to do that. And we would believe that wholeheartedly, but when it actually comes out to application, there's a disconnect for a lot of us. And I believe that that comes from a place of not living in the reality that God is good and that he loves us. But my message, my message this morning is called The Great Commission, and it, I subtitled it, My Responsibility. I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with this, but our culture has a real problem with responsibility. I know for me, I don't like uh, the responsibility of a lot of different things, because um, when it comes down to it, 
um, I can't blame somebody else for my inaction. Right? My wife comes home and says, well, babe, you said you were going to do the dishes. Why didn't you do the dishes? I can't, I can't pawn that off on somebody else, right? It was my responsibility, and I, I, didn't, I didn't do it. But I don't like to live in that place where I can't pass the blame off on somebody else. You know, having kids is, has been fun, you know. Um, I can come home, and my wife can come home, and she's like, why is the living room a mess, Nate? And Finn, he is just crazy. He's a little tornado, right? I can pass that responsibility off on, you know, we have a toddler. Uh, <laughs> not really, guys. That's, that's an example that you shouldn't do that. <laughs> but it really comes down to the place of we, we hate responsibility, don't we? If we're being honest, nobody wants to take responsibility for anything negative. But we're quick to jump to it when something works out good, right? Anyway, I could share example after example, but, but I believe that you guys understand that notion. But I, I think there's this overwhelming kind of thought process that's prevalent throughout church culture, and it's that the average Christian doesn't feel any sort of responsibility or urgency when it comes to this command of Jesus to fulfill the Great Commission. You know, I think it's kind of surmised in the fact that we might give in an offering every once in a while to support a missionary. But I think that there's been a disconnect from understanding Jesus' Jesus's command for us to go and make disciples falling upon our shoulders as believers. I'm, I'm, in, I'm incorporating myself into this message here. And kind of just shrugging off the responsibility to make disciples must fall upon the spiritually elite or somebody else. When in reality, I, I think what Jesus was getting at here was he's actually talking about you and I having a responsibility to preach the gospel and make disciples. Matthew 28, 18, I, I referenced it just a moment ago, but this is, these are the words of Jesus. It says that he, he came to tell his disciples this. This is after he's resurrected. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There has been this kind of common uh, interpretation of this passage of Scripture that has been delivered to the average churchgoer over the last number of years. And it's this mentality that what Jesus was actually saying here was that as you are going, as you're going about your everyday life, you're eating and you're drinking, you're getting up to go to work, uh, as you go to school, that you're to make disciples as you go about your life. And I think that, that that in and of itself isn't wrong. I think that we, as we're living life, have this call to make disciples wherever we're planted. It, it, obviously, not everyone is called to uproot and sell everything and go to the Middle East and preach the gospel to, to people that have never heard it. Um, we understand that, right? Because if that was the case, there would it just doesn't work out that way. We understand that even Paul took up offerings um, from different churches to support his ministry as he went to Spain, right? That, they're, they're, that people, different people play different roles in the puzzle. Uh, 
And I think if you go back and forth, some people will say, no, everybody's got to go, or this is talking just about a few select people that are going to go overseas or go out your door. I think we're kind of missing the heart of what Jesus is sharing here. I, I do believe that there is a command to go into all the nations and see the gospel preached, and we're going to champion that. But what does that mean for you and I that maybe don't experience that burden and that call to go across, uh, across the globe or experiencing or experience missions cross-culturally? What does that mean for you and I? And I, th- I, I just can't 100% get behind this idea or this interpretation that as you're going, uh, you're to make disciples just in your everyday life. Because what that does, that kind of interpretation voids the notion of living intentionally. I think what Jesus is saying here, go and make disciples. He's commanding this thrusting forth of his disciples to go and make more disciples. And he's talking about to the very ends of the earth. And I believe that he's giving this same command to you and I. And maybe we might not get on an airplane and go to Africa or, or, or go, to, go to Asia or, or anything like that. But I do believe that there is this command for us to live intentionally about making disciples. Does that make sense, friends, today? And so whether you're a student in high school, whether you run your own business, you have a family, or maybe you do feel like this, I need to drop everything and sell everything and go preach the gospel in a third world nation that has never heard it. Um, all of those are, are valid are valid ways of life. But I believe that we have to apply this piece of scripture to make disciples as something that needs to be intentionally at the forefront of anything and everything we do. So whether you're a business owner or whether you're a student, whether you're a minister or you're making cabinets, any of these different things that you might have as an occupation, that you might have as, as kind of your source of income or, or your active thing that you're doing right now, has to fall secondary to the notion that you are called as a missionary to make disciples. And you're saying, well, Jesus was just talking to 11 dudes at this time. He wasn't talking to the entirety of Scripture. I'm going to break it down here. We're going to look at actually a different passage of Scripture where I believe uh, it's explicitly um, communicating this thought that you and I that claim to be followers of Jesus have a responsibility to share the gospel, have a responsibility to fulfill this thing of the Great Commission. Turn with me to John chapter 17. Friends, this is where this message started to take shape and take root, and um, I'm not going to spend much time here. I'm actually going to skip a lot of the things that I had kind of prepared for this morning um, because I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to get to a, a particular point and do some things today. But beginning in verse 13, it says, um, this is Jesus. He's praying to the Father here. You'll notice it's called the high priestly prayer. It's this model prayer that Jesus prays to the Father, and then he starts praying for his disciples. Now I am coming to you. This is Jesus talking to the Father. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so that they would be filled with my joy. 
I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. How many of you guys have believed that Jesus is who he says he is? How many of you guys have succumbed to the fact that you, you would profess a knowledge of Jesus Christ in this room? Uh, I'm believing most of us have. And we understand that that comes by way. So when Jesus is praying this prayer, he's praying for us. Generations later from when he was praying for his disciples there, right? We can, we can make that track. There's this... I was going to talk to you about how the, the joy that we're to be filled with, we're to be filled with his joy and talking about how that kind of serves as the sustenance for, for ministry. But Jeremy hit that last week, and I was really excited about that. And then I was going to talk to you about the process of sanctification, that big, scary Christian word that we're not really sure what it means. We're going to talk about being set apart and made holy and, and used for his purpose. And we, we were going to have fun with this. But so this is my quick, like, 30-second Nate message about those things. Um, and then we get to this verse where he says in verse 18, just as you sent me into the world, right? This is Jesus talking to the Father. Just as God sent Jesus into the world, Jesus is sending his disciples into the world. So in the same manner that Jesus was sent into the world, Jesus here prays to the Father and says that I am going to send them into the same world. He doesn't ask that we be taken from it, but for the purpose that the world might come to know Jesus He's sending his disciples, and those disciples are making other disciples. And Jesus is praying for generations and generations and generations of disciples that they would continue to be sent to fulfill this call. So this is pre-death and resurrection of Jesus, that he's praying this prayer. It's probably, uh, most, most scholars believe that he was praying this in the Garden of Gethsemane right before his betrayal and eventual crucifixion and resurrection. But we're going to pick up the narrative in John chapter 20, verses 21. Jesus kind of sandwiches his, um, his death and resurrection in between these two statements. And he comes to his disciples post-resurrection and says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Jesus reiterates this truth to his disciples. It says, Then he breathed on them and told them to receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 23, which is really confusing, says, If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. I want to look at three things that we can kind of take out of these three verses of Scripture that are imperative to us fulfilling the Great Commission. And really, where it roots the Great Commission as the responsibility of all believers to carry the call and purpose and message of God to people that need Him. The first thing I, I think is interesting about this 
and it ties in with where we traditionally read about the Great Commission, is that we have to acknowledge the one that is sending us. Right? We acknowledge the fact that Jesus is the sending agent here in this message or in this, in this narrative. It's not your church. It's not your pastor. It's not some organization. It's not just kind of this compulsory thing that, you know, you heard a message one time and you feel like, man, I've got to go tell people about Jesus to make my pastor happy. We have to understand that it is Jesus himself issuing this command to his disciples, to believers, that they would share this message of hope that is the gospel. And when we place Jesus in the rightful place as the one issuing the command, our excuses fall by the wayside, right? Well, you know what? I'm not perfect, Jesus. You know, I can't tell my neighbor about you because my life is so messed up. I haven't figured this thing out, right? We, we can say, we can have, well, I'm afraid and they're timid. They're not going to like me. Jesus himself issues the command. And it's interesting that when he issues it in Matthew, right? He says, all authority under heaven and earth has been given to me. I want you to take just a moment here, and I love the way Lou Engle shares this. He talks about the word ekbalo. He talks about how it's this command of authority that Jesus uses this word go. It's the same word that he uses when he drives out demons um, and, and this command to, to flee. He uses this same word to send forth his disciples to make other disciples, right? It's this, it's this, crazy, it's this crazy command that... Um, it's assertive and it's authoritative when Jesus says to go and make disciples. It's not this kind of, well, up for interpretation um, statement that Jesus made. If you feel like it, you should probably do this. No, he says go. And it's with authority that he commands his children. It's with authority that he commands you and I to share this message of the gospel with others. Just think for a moment. This is the same God who created the heavens and the earth. And, and, and if I'm recalling correctly, I, I believe Daniel in ministry school would listen to this uh, sermon jam compilation consistently and continually like every single morning when he woke up. And I, I have no idea who the guy was actually preaching, but he, he would say something along the statement about how it's the same God that created the mountains and the seas and the heavens and the earth and, and put everything into its perfect place. And he, 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 the sea would come and he says, you can come this far. And he, and he stops it and it's with authority that he creates. It's with authority that he speaks. And then he says, I'm going to tell you to go and make disciples and us and our audacity in humanity, our kind of naivety, we stand and we say, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> this blatant, what I believe, comes to a point of rebellion for us, not just a place of, you know what, I'm just not ready, or I'm not good enough, or I don't want to, or I don't feel like it. We can say all these different things that we can make excuses for why we don't share our faith. We can make excuses for why we don't share the goodness of Jesus with one another. But at the end of the day, I believe it's rebellion, friends. And I say this not casually. I'm not saying this to make anybody feel bad this morning. This, this, was, a, this was an encounter I had with the Lord as I was exploring this thing of, of the Great Commission and, and asking the Lord what he wanted to share and 
In reality, friends, this hit me hard. I want you to know this. As I, as I was writing these words, as I was spending time with the Lord, man, I haven't shared Jesus with people like I, I need to. I haven't experienced that goodness of God overflow in my spirit to a place where, where, uh, where I convey the same heartbeat as God when it comes to his people. And I'm not okay with that, friends. And so as I, as I continue to share these things, I, I don't want it to come from a holier-than-thou place, but I want to share with you what the Holy Spirit's doing in me because I believe what he wants to accomplish is I believe that he wants to share his heart for people with us. So we understand that Jesus is sending us, and we're being sent in the same manner that Jesus came. And so if that's the case, I think we need to look at what Jesus himself said about his sending or his being sent. What was Jesus' MO? What was his mission here on the earth? Jesus himself says in Luke chapter 10, verse 19, that the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. And so if Jesus was sent into the earth with this ministry of reconciling man to God, right? First Corinthians, or um, we, we have this great Corinthians deals with um, Paul's writing there, talks about the ministry of reconciliation and how that's kind of paramount as ambassadors of Christ, I believe that that message of the fact that man can be reconciled with God to seek and save the lost is the same mission that Jesus is sending us forth into the earth with. The second point that I want to make is that the first one was that Jesus is the one that sends us. And it's to him that we answer. It's to him if we have an issue with the fact that I don't feel adequate to go or I don't really think you're calling me to go. That's who we take up this issue with, not with anybody else because it's him that delivers this command. And the second thing that I don't think that we can underemphasize, but I'm going to just hit it very quickly, is the necessity of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says here, um, he breathes on them and gives an equal command, right? This is still the commanding Jesus that has all authority under heaven and earth, tells them to receive the Holy Spirit. We know later on in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that uh, the, the promise of the Holy Spirit would be that we would receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us to enable us to be witnesses to uh, Judea, to Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. How interesting does that kind of line up with the command of the gospel or the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations? Friends, I, I know that that verse is short, but we cannot neglect the emphasis that Jesus makes here is the fact that the Holy Spirit has to be the driving force for you and I to fulfill the work of the Great Commission. It's not something that we can just decide that we're going to do, right? We understand it's the Holy Spirit that draws men to repentance. This is why you can get people out there that hold signs up and, and, and kind of picket things and say, turn or burn, and they, they have this mentality that they're fulfilling the Great Commission. They're telling people about Jesus. But friends, I, I'm not saying that all of them are missing the mark, but I would say the majority that I've encountered of that kind of mentality, um, I don't believe are being full and led by the Holy Spirit. Um, and so I don't use this as kind of a... Um, a way for us to kind of just sidestep, well, I didn't feel the Holy Spirit leading me to share the gospel. 
Um, I, I've, I've heard, can I just dispel that real quick? I've heard so many people tell me, you know, I didn't feel like the Holy Spirit uh, was giving me an opening or an opportunity to share the gospel and that it wasn't the right time. And I would just ask you to examine that kind of thinking through the lens of what we read about in Scripture, the encounters that we read about in Scripture, and, the, and, and you, know, you know who looks for an opportune time is the devil, not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes an opportune time, I believe. And I would just say this. Um, I'd say this very, very plainly and very simply, is that there's never going to be a perfect time to share the gospel. And if you're constantly waiting for it to feel right to share the gospel, I would just challenge you, um, maybe there's something missing. Because if I lived by the, if I lived purely, strictly by my feeling, I would not share the gospel ever. <laughs> I never feel like being openly rejected or mocked or ridiculed, you know? If I, right, nobody, nobody just like wakes up in the morning and says, you know what, that's what I want to do today. I want somebody just to tell me that I'm dumb. Because um, that, that happens when you share the gospel. Um, it really does. But I would just encourage you, if, if you feel like that's kind of a consistent thing with you, um, and that's a struggle for you, take that to the Lord in prayer. I believe that the Holy Spirit does open door and does open opportunity. And in fact, the, what I was actually going to entitle this message was that if there's an opportunity, it's your responsibility. If there's an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody, I believe it's your responsibility to share the gospel with somebody. And I believe the Holy Spirit is making more opportunity than we're giving notice to. And so we understand it's the necessity of the Holy Spirit that one empowers us, but also leads us into sharing the gospel. The last thing I want to hit on here, and it's, it deals with this kind of intriguing verse that we read about, that if you forgive the sins of anyone, their sins will be forgiven, but if you don't, their sins won't be forgiven. And it's kind of this jarring. Have any of you ever read this verse of Scripture before and just be like, what does Jesus mean here? We all supposed to be Catholic or like <laughs> what's going on? Because I know I've wrestled with it. I know Daniel and I have probably talked about this verse of scripture a lot. We're talking about what does it actually mean to remit? What does it mean to restrain or retain? Um, what does it, how does this tie in with when Jesus says, whatever you loose in, or uh, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, and all these different things. And you can read commentary after commentary. But it wasn't until this morning, and this is where this part kind of changes. I was spending some time with the Lord. And uh, I, I really feel like he highlighted something to me that I want to share with you in talking about our personal responsibility in sharing the gospel. When I was uh, in ministry school, it was actually after I, I graduated from ministry school. I was a youth pastor here. I was going back to court my wife, Kelly, who was living in Pueblo at the time. And I was trying to get her to notice me. And so I'd show up to her prayer meetings and whatnot and uh, Anyway, uh, persistence, guys. If uh, any of you young men here uh, need some uh, encouragement when it comes to ladies, just be consistent. Be persistent. You know, like the, you know, like the unless they tell you no, then just take no. But uh, <laughs> Kelly never told me no. Uh, <laughs> she just kind of was like, maybe. Loose interpretation. <laughs> Worked out. Anyway, we're not talking about my love life here, but... Uh, when I'd go back to Pueblo, <laughs> when I'd go back to Pueblo and try to win my fair lady's heart, which worked, by the way. She's not here, but she's real, I promise. Uh, <laughs> Daniel, uh, one morning, I'd get up to pray, 
um, because I needed to pray before I met Kelly. So I I still need to pray, but I needed extra prayer. Um, Daniel would anoint me before I'd go to the prayer meeting with perfume or with cologne, not perfume. He'd be like, dude, you need some extra help. And so he'd come in and he'd, he'd yell at me in tongues and spray me with cologne and it smelled really good. I don't know if it helped all that much, but <laughs> all this, all this to say has nothing to do with actually the message I'm trying to get to. There was a sign that he has, and I think he still has it in his office, but it's this quote by Leonard Ravenhill, and I'm not sure who wrote it because the handwriting is really good, and I don't think it was Daniel's. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, um, but it, it says that this generation of preachers is responsible for this generation of sinners. And it was this quote by Leonard Ravenhill that just struck me to the core as a new minister, as, as a pastor that was just kind of uh, really, really wanting to see God do something great. And I love Leonard Ravenhill, but I, I think he was wrong in a sense. Because, I won't say that he's wrong, but um, I think most of the time our idea of what a preacher is, is the guy behind the microphone is the pastor, is, is the guy that gets paid to do it, right? And so maybe to help it connect and resonate a little bit more, I believe that this generation of Christians, this generation of disciples, is responsible for this generation of sinners. And I say that not because you say, well, how can I take on everybody's actions upon myself? And it's not necessarily in that light, but when we read this, that if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Well, we understand that God alone forgives sins. We look at, we look at the fact that it is through Jesus' death on a cross, right? It is through his resurrection that we find forgiveness of sins. In fact, Peter himself says in Acts chapter 10, it's through faith in Jesus alone that there is forgiveness of sin. And so I don't want you to take this message that somehow as disciples of Jesus that, you know what, well, you know what, Kelsey, your sins are forgiven, but Darwin, I don't like you, so your sins are not forgiven. And that's just the say end all. I don't believe that that's what Jesus is getting at here. And I think there's, there's, there's so many layers in John's writing that we could get hung up on. But if I read this and I think about uh, practically how are sins forgiven, I think this plays into the Great Commission a little bit. And, it, and I wrote this down because I, I want to be very clear about what I'm about to share. I wrote down A and B. So if you want to take notes here, if I were to answer the question, how does man have the power to forgive sin? How do you as a disciple of Jesus take this verse of verse 23 here and apply it um, to your life in particular? How do you forgive sin? I believe it's kind of a two-part answer. A and B. A is... As you go and present the gospel, praying for people and persuading them to call upon the name of Jesus, their sins are forgiven, right? And I believe equal to that, B, if you fail to go, if you fail to pray, if the believer fails to persuade the lost to call upon the Savior's name, then sinners' sins are not forgiven. And there's, a, there's an end result of that lack of forgiveness is that they wind up in hell. That's not something we like to talk about very much. It's not something that we like to champion or celebrate. It's not something that we, we kind of put at the forefront because it doesn't make us happy. But I think we miss the gravity of what Jesus calls and commands and sends us to is this notion 
that there are people that need the gospel. And so as that's, that might be a, a loose translation that the Holy Spirit really kind of wrecked me. And I hope I can do an adequate job of, of communicating that this morning. I believe that the nature of what God's saying here in light of the Great Commission is not just that you would, that you would go around and say, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven, but you present the opportunity of the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ, that there's responsibility on you that sins can be forgiven. But if you withhold that knowledge, if you willing withhold that key from somebody, that their sins aren't. And when you get to that place, I believe that there is, there is something startling and scary that we see, and it comes when it talk about our responsibility. Acts 20, verse 26, turn with me there. If you guys are confused about what I was sharing there um, in uh, John 23, I'd love to talk with you after, but just for the sake of time to get where we're going. Acts 20, and I'm actually going to read a a little bit more than what I have written in my notes. Uh, This is Paul. He's meeting with the Ephesian elders. He actually calls them to come meet him before he heads back to Jerusalem. Um, It says in verse 18, When the elders arrived, he says, You know from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. Just take note of that, with many tears. I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. Jesus, or what what Paul says here is, I never pulled any punches, and I'm not going to apologize for telling you the truth. And, uh, you know, as I was, just real quick, as I was talking with the Lord about sharing this message today, it was something that I didn't really feel like, oh, man, this is what I want to share. Because it hits me in the heart, too. It's convicting to me. I want to be like, man, God loves you, and you just need to give your life to him. And that's good, and that's truth. But um, I I want to just publicly acknowledge the fact that when God speaks something, even if it doesn't fit into what I think would be the best received or the easiest to digest, um, I want you to know as your pastor, I'm committed to speaking forth the truth of Scripture. And uh, I believe that's what Paul was saying here. He goes on to say, uh, whether it was in private or in, or in, in public or either in private, I never pulled any punches with you. In verse 21, he says, I've had one message for Jews and Gentiles alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and having faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Friends, I want to, my prayer right now for myself and for you as disciples of Jesus is that we would live with the mentality that our lives would mean nothing unless we fulfilled the mission that God's given us. Does that make sense? I want us to understand that you building a nice, healthy 401k is meaningless if you've not shared the gospel. If you've not fulfilled the work that God's placed in front of you. I think sometimes we live with this mentality, and I think it comes from a place where we don't understand the sovereignty of God, but we're not going to get in that. But like, you might have a neighbor that you're like, man, I wish they would get saved. 
You might have a relative that you're just saying, you know what, I wish that God would encounter them. Can I tell you the great commission, the gospel of Jesus is more than just wishful thinking. What if God wanted to use you in that regard? He goes on to say this. Verse 25. And now I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. Verse 26 is where I want you to take note. I do believe that sharing the gospel is the believer's personal responsibility. Verse, verse 26 here. I declare today that if I have been that I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it is not my fault, for I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. That's what that's what Paul is saying here. Uh, in, in another translation, in the New King James, it says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. What Paul is saying here is that I have preached the gospel message, I have shared it faithfully, and, my, and I don't have anyone's blood on my hand. What is he referencing there? I believe he's re- referencing Ezekiel chapter 3. I know we've been all over the place, but turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 3. Ezekiel's a crazy book. You all should read it. It'll blow your mind. Ezekiel, it says here, um, I'm going to start in verse 10. He, this is the Lord speaking to Ezekiel, and he calls him son of man. And he says, let all my words sink deep into your own heart first. Listen to them carefully for yourself. Then go to your people in exile and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And uh, so that's, I didn't write that down right. That's really good. Uh, make sure that the message that you're preaching uh, impacts your own heart first. <laughs> um, but it's actually in verse 17 that I wanted to start. Wow, that fit great. Holy Spirit knows how to preach a better message than I do. 17, son of man, I have appointed you as a watchman for Israel. Whenever you receive a message from me, warn people immediately. If I warn the wicked saying you are under the penalty of death, but you fail to deliver the warning, they will die in their sins and I will hold you responsible for their deaths. If you warn them and they refuse to repent and keep on sinning, they will die in their sins, but you have saved yourself because you have obeyed me. I love the way the New King James read this, uh, reads this. You should read it yourself. But he talks about Ezekiel as a messenger. And what he, God's saying here to Ezekiel, he says, I have a message for you concerning my people. And if you warn them and you tell them that they need to repent and they listen, you save both yourself and them. But he goes on to say, if you, if you warn them and you tell them that there's salvation, if you tell them that they need to repent, if you tell them uh, for to bringing into the New Testament that, that there is hope in Jesus and they fail to do so, because you have obeyed my command, they'll die in their sins, but it won't be on your hand. But there's this notion here is that if Ezekiel fails to communicate with urgency, it says immediately, to communicate urgently the message that the Lord's giving him, that he was going to be responsible and live with blood guilt and live with the blood of those that would have heard and possibly have changed but he'll have that responsibility weighing upon him. 
And I say this because I'm frustrated with myself, church. 100% transparent. I remember, I remember years of staying awake in high school extremely burdened for my lost friends to come to know Jesus. I, I remember crying with tears. Well, I don't know how else you cry, but I remember, I remember the reality of their suffering and separation from God being prevalent in my prayer when I would ask God to move in my school. And it reminds me, that's why I told you to take special note of what Paul says when he talks about tears. In fact, verse 31, he goes on to say, he encourages the Ephesian elders to watch and remember that for three years, he didn't cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Friends, this, this message isn't to guilt trip any of us. Trust me, I, I know that that doesn't work. I can't persuade you uh, with, the, with any kind of urgency. I can't give you the statistics that somehow are going to uh, compulse you to share the gospel with your neighbor. I, I understand it has to be a work of the Holy Spirit. But I want us to understand that, that the lost and hurting, they're your responsibility every much as they are mine. I believe as Christians, as disciples of Jesus, we have a call to live our lives intentionally of making this message of the gospel our utmost priority. That doesn't mean you can't be a home you you can't be a homemaker. That doesn't mean you can't be a school teacher or own your own business or a minister and not fulfill the Great Commission. I, I'm not saying that at all. I am saying that it requires us to radically look at our lives. And if what we're doing currently isn't emphasizing this message of the gospel at all four fronts of our life, there are some things that need rearranging. If you can sit back and honestly say, you know, I haven't shared the gospel with anybody in a long time. I haven't, I haven't personally led somebody to the Lord, maybe ever. And, 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 and part of you is feeling bad about that. I want to say that's probably a good thing right now. Because I don't feel good about the fact that I haven't shared the gospel with very many people recently. Maybe on a Sunday morning, but I, I don't feel good about that. And I, I'm not okay with that. And friends, I don't want us to live okay with that either. Does that make sense? Do you catch my heart this morning, guys? It's not out of a place where, man, I want you to feel bad. I want you to really kind of just feel like a failure because you've not share Jesus with anybody. But I want us to understand the reality of this, and hopefully the Holy Spirit can motivate us to share about who Jesus is.
Adam, could you come forward, man? I want, I want to tie this in with what I felt the Holy Spirit spoke to me at the beginning of service. Was that is at the end of the day, I believe most of us don't understand that God is actually good. That he really loves us. That he, he wants us to succeed. He cares about us. And those things that we've probably heard in passing and we're like, yeah, Pastor Nate, we... We get that. I don't think it's until the truth of, of, of that. I, I, it's got to be a revelatory understanding of the goodness and love of God at work in our life that motivates us to do this. I think that's why Jesus was praying in John 17 that the same love that the Father has for Jesus, that it would be in us. We're going to open up these altars, and we're going to dismiss service here. But if any of you are not okay with how maybe you've lived out this thing of the Great Commission, of the sharing of the gospel, and you want to see some things change, um, I'm just going to invite you to, to hang around and spend some time with the Lord. If you have to go, we understand, and we bless you in the name of the Lord, but maybe let's just let him do something, Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're real and that you love us and that you love a lost and hurting world. And we're just asking that you'd meet us here. I'm asking for my church family. I'm asking for my friends in this room. I'm asking for myself, Jesus. That you would change my heart. That you would reveal your goodness to me, God. Lord, that you would enable us to intentionally live out this thing of the gospel. Sharing your message. We bless you and we love you, Holy Spirit. We just welcome you here. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Our ministry is made possible entirely by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, visit us online at www.opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give, see our service times, and stay connected with Open Door Church. We hope to see you soon.